one recording. Yay. Hello, everybody. Hello. I'm Theo Black. And I'm Sarah Black. And here we are today um, to discuss the bad movies. <laughs> I and just realized I didn't open the thing that you sent me before we started. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so when I said I was ready, I was lying. You're a liar. Well, okay. that's okay here. I'll describe. So the first movie we're going to talk about, and I have a feeling this is going to be rather brief, <laughs> is uh, Monster A-Go-Go. Okay. Which, which yeah, is do you, are you going to do the synopsis for that I one? I will do the synopsis for this one. Uh, it is a 1965 sci-fi monster movie type thing, as per our theme. Uh, it doesn't matter who's involved with it, really. Um, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't. It's about an astronaut who... They, they threw a pod up, you know, one of those pod things into space. It came back and the astronaut was missing. And they find the pod and the helicopter pilot who's found it dies. And the rest of the movie is people trying to figure out what's going on with the monster. And that's it. Um, you make it sound more active than it really was. It makes me think of like an H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft story. And what works with the written word does not work on screen for the record. I have mixed feelings about H.P. Lovecraft's writing, but you know, I think it's Call of Cthulhu where it's like someone reading a journal and then someone reading newspaper articles and then someone reading a journal again or something. Yeah. Like you find out that the helicopter pilot has died via someone radio. talking over a radio. Like yeah. you don't really, see, you see the helicopter land and everything looks good. And then he's, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I say like, and then the rest of the movie is I'm trying to deal with the monster. Cause like a couple things happen, but none of it really matters. Oh, spoilers. Spoilers for this <laughs> oh, movie. Oh yeah. Really. From 65. Yeah. And anything we may talk about in relation other movies. If you hear the name of a movie, we might be spoiling it. Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> Just I, I have thoughts on this, but I don't know. I mean, I tend to take over. So I have two thoughts, and they're not even really thoughts. They're more facts that I find interesting from Wikipedia. One is Herschel Gordon Lewis, who I've never seen anything from, but I know is famous for being the, the, the father of gore or the something of gore or whatever. I think is oh, uncredited. The gore as, as in G-O-R gore or G-O-R. As in blood and, and okay, because there's a whole kinky set of books out there called the Gore books, G O R. Oh. So I was a little confused for a moment. No, the, the father of like cinematic blood and guts. Like okay. he made, I think it's called the splatter genre. Is like something he pioneered. Anyways, okay. or not pioneered, but is, is famous for like popularizing. Anyways, he is an uncredited director of this. I think because basically they made this movie. It sat on a shelf and he bought it and then re-edited it or something. I don't know. Okay. But, but he's connected to it and I found that vaguely amusing because I've, I've never seen any of it, but for anybody who's a Splatter fan. And the other thing is the guy who plays Frank Douglas slash the monster is Henry Height. Right. That's not his actual name. I think his actual name does not involve the word Height. Um, Marion They spell Mullins. it H-I-T-E, but it, yeah. Right. He was a wrestler and he was billed as eight foot two, but he was actually seven foot six, which is still he was really a tall. Seven six, yes. <laughs> which is like, Jesus, so yeah. tall. Anyways, and I found his height amusing. And that's, those are my facts. My actual thoughts of this movie are nothing happens and it's boring the end. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, we want to explain why. And for one thing, you know, there's a lot of, it's narration heavy. And I think that, um, 
criticizing all narration is unfair because there's times where I like narration in a movie, but it's this yes. kind of narration that causes people to think because yeah. entire pieces of story are explained. And I think I'll get into the reason why later. Um, this is a big example of telling and not showing. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of just kind of watching nothing happening and people talking back and forth and they don't even do the yelling thing, which like the giant claw has where it's like they pretend like it's a big conflict because they have people yell at each other, but really it's not very interesting. Like this is just like, yeah, it's almost like watching people do a job, like the part where they're towards the end where they're in Chicago and they're like setting up something like you're just watching people setting up something and it's not very, tense yeah. you don't really feel like anything's at stake it's just kind of dull but so it's, the yeah. backstory on this that i thought was kind of interesting and in a way this was a poor choice of a film a 1960s film because it was mostly made in what what is it it's mostly shot in 61 so technically it's a 60s film but that's close enough to the 50s that to me this felt like a 50s film and then your guy, Herschel Gordon Lewis, just needed a movie. <laughs> so he took it and um, added some stuff and the end. Um, bless you. Bless you? Yes, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Okay, shoot. I tried to hit the mute button, but I didn't hit it in time. <laughs> yes, I was kind of wondering about that. But so, Oops. yeah, so... It makes me think just a smidge <laughs> about if I'm going to think about anything in relation to this movie, it's that film is a business. All arts are a business, but there's like a barrier to entry with film where you have to have money, you have to make money. Especially in like the 60s, that barrier is smaller as time goes on. There's but... always a barrier to entry with art, but you're yeah. going to more people can write attempt to write a novel than make a movie even now with cell phones and so on that you can use to film thing so it's very much a business and i always think it's interesting again i've been watching these korean dramas and some of them are made quicker and more cheaply um, chinese dramas in general have less money behind them and so they're just going to be different. But it also frustrates, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. It also frustrates me with like the Olympics that people are like, this is a real test of who's the strongest. And it's like, I'm sorry, in general, richer countries are going to do better because they have money they can put into it. Yep. You know, like Denmark, I remember, not Denmark, I remember learning this during the, um, during one of the big World Cups or one of the, I forget yeah. the soccer matches, but like Iceland, didn't have an indoor field they could practice soccer in until like 10 years ago. So right. that meant they could only practice for so long because you cannot practice soccer in, in Iceland year round, just turns out. So yeah. there's like, but also, you know, so there's, there's like a financial thing to, to, yeah. So you can compare a movie that's made on a little budget to an Avengers film if you want. Maybe you'll get something out of it. I don't know. But it's just it's just a different beast, right? 
the way I think of it is, uh, this is all subjective. I think I finally turned you over to the fact that more or less all- You mention of, this every time. <laughs> I have, I get victories. Like I get like one victory a year from you. And so yes, I have to mention it multiple- Yes, but you still feel so like- you still feel like your judgment of things based on the quality of the filmmaking is so much more important than other things sometimes. I think that's why it drives me crazy sometimes. Well, sometimes I, like I overemphasize the, the quality of the filmmaking. As yeah, you're like, it's all subjective, but this movie isn't very good because of the camera work. And I'm like, I well, don't know what to say to you now. What I'm saying is I don't think it's very good because of the camera work. But here's a part of it. Here's a part of it that is, that is about this very argument you and I have constantly. <laughs> which is that you can't like, like film is all subjective there. You, if you approach every film with the same like card that has all the same check boxes on right. it and has all the one through tens on it. Right. Like you can't put 2001, a space odyssey next to monster ago, go <laughs> obviously monster ago, go is terrible to me anyways, but, but like you, you still can't really compare them in the sense of like, right. So they use this kind of lens, which means that they got this kind of quality of shot, which means they had a fisheye and, you know, all that stuff. But it's so even, it's like, you couldn't even put 2001 A Space Odyssey next to Primer, which is like a genuinely good film, but it's yes. got non-sync audio issues and it was made for... Entirely, entirely true. And as I have gotten older, I have loosened my reins on this. It does not change the fact that I like the beautiful films that like Roma and all the stuff that have the beautiful sound and look really good and all that. But I get it. You're right. I sometimes think more about the filmmaking than the storytelling. Thousand Pieces of Gold is a good movie. I get it. <laughs> Back to Monster Go Go, though. So here's a film that exists because someone needed a double feature. Yes. And I, I've actually, I've actually seen this happen. I've known people who make movies because they can get the money to make those movies. And I think Roger Corman operated that way a lot. And and you still sometimes get these gems because using Roger Corman as the example people who want to make art and want to make good movies will seize this opportunity and they will be creative and they will make something interesting and wonderful. Well, Roger, you also get people who really just want to pocket the money and call it a day and they put as little effort as possible into it. And yeah. I don't know, Horace, it's interesting, I'm sorry, Herschel Gordon Lewis's other stuff it sounds like maybe he was more creative at other times but this really is just like someone needed to fill a double feature so they may you know and it, i just i don't have any check boxes for a movie like this like you know we can look at like mon robot monster and it was made for nothing and who knows how passionate anyone involved was about what was happening but like there's something to it there's something going on even yeah. the giant claw like is a movie this yeah. is barely a movie and it's just hard to like there's just a point where you're like i don't know this is this is it's when <laughs> maybe you're watching... they act like i think the actors did care a little bit like it feels like that but like you their performances are made of you know are are like, unsupported the... by the filmmaking so it's really hard to it's that thing where kind of everything is bad the filmmaking <laughs> is bad the acting is bad the lighting is bad the choice of what they're doing is bad the story is bad the characters are like all of it is 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 bad as i would judge it <laughs> like yeah. i don't think there's a lot of character i mean it's all just long shots the people are kind of talking to each other 
as if they're aliens, but not in that fun way that like happens in like a David Lynch movie or something. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's as if they're aliens, as in like they're all just pieces of wood who like have mouths that speak to each other. Well, I was thinking about just like how much editing, like as an act, I have like a deep sympathy for actors because I think that like my joke is always that the customer service people of Hollywood because they're the ones on the screen. Right. And some actors are very powerful, but a lot of them aren't. And, you know, you do a performance and then someone can edit it together in a way that makes you look terrible. (laughs) Like, you know, we could have a casual conversation. And if you add long pauses between everything we say, it starts to sound awkward and strange. And I've seen lots of low budget movies where there's like big pauses. And so the actors start looking like they're just staring at walls, you know? Yeah, the editor has a lot of control so over this. So who knows with these people? What? Well, this, and this film like barely feels like it has an editor too. Because again, it's just like <laughs> wide shots of everything happening. And it's like, yeah. okay, you didn't have well, a lot of film. Like a low, and... for, for people, that's like a low budget thing. Yeah, you, you didn't have a lot have of so film. It's film. expensive. Film is expensive. I mean, it's, I mean, digital, it, it, that's the thing. Once we get to digital, like you, you, Digital bad movies, I feel like, don't run into that kind of mistake as often yeah. because you don't have to pay for film. So there are plenty of bad movies that are digital, but they're not usually going to have those like yeah, those one shot of a scene because that's all the film we had for that shot. I forget who it is. I think it's like Joe Bob Briggs or someone. Isn't he? Um... I The name sounds familiar, but I Yeah, he's a, a film critic. I think he, maybe it was him that talked about expecting to see more good movies based on the barrier to entry lowering and that it is cheaper to make movies now than it would have been in 61. Yeah. Um, and really you just get more trash. Yeah. <laughs> because I think it's because people just run out, run around using what they've got without really thinking about it or learning or so on. Yeah. Anyway, so that ultimately I'm just saying that's the rabbit hole I could go down with this film is that yeah. sometimes films a business and some guy just needs another movie and he makes it and you watch it and there's, there's nothing, there's nothing to it. Like, I wa- I wonder what either of the directors involved in this, um, who would be Bill Rebane or Herschel Gordon-Lewis, like, I wonder what either of them were really, what they would have to say about this film, like. Yeah, I, this is one of those ones where we haven't done this yet. I haven't, but I want to go back and watch the MST3K for these, because I think I know that Robot Monster and Monster Gogo have an MST3K. I think the Giant Claw does too. I'm not sure about the Incredible Melting Man. Yeah, some of my least favorite MST3Ks are when they did these 50s movies because the films are just so boring that it doesn't really matter what they say to me. Yeah, I'd be curious. I think somewhere in the Wikipedia, it has been at one time quoted that Monster Gogo was the worst movie they had to watch. Yeah. I don't know when that was. If it was while the show was running, if it was while they were, while they're doing their uh, riff track stuff now, I don't know. But I, I, I kind of need to see if like somebody can make this a funny or entertaining thing. Because mostly like at a certain point, you and I, I mean, we didn't watch it together, but we both texted each other like at a certain point we just stopped watching. Like we, we watched the whole thing, but like our brains just turned off. It's yeah. that thing. There's that episode of uh, red letter media where Mike's like, my brain is making me forget this in an, in an attempt to protect <laughs> yeah. itself. Like our brains yeah. stopped watching it in an attempt to protect ourselves. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's just not much here. 
there's not much here. I, I think I think that's it, guys. That's all. Yeah, we got. I think that's it. I if mean, we is... took it. We took it down a tangent. We got briefly mad at each other. Yeah, we talked like, about the financial aspects of we the didn't industry. even. And the thing is, the interesting part about this was you talking about indie film, basically, and like <laughs> low budget, like super micro budget films, because we still haven't really said anything about the movie. It's boring. People walk there's around. Nothing to there's say. nothing there occasionally a very tall man walks on screen and he's kind of interesting and that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about something a lot better than Monster at Go-Go. And by better, I mean, it's still a bad movie, but it was a much more entertaining movie. I kind of like The Incredible Melting Man. I've got to be honest. I started watching it. <laughs> I got about 15 minutes in. I'm like, I should stop and wait for Kirby to come home. But I didn't. I just watched it through the end. So I, I'm never sure when he's going to get home. And then he got home towards the end. And I'm like, you got to see the beginning. So he ended up having the, um, what, not the inception, the, the, the tenant version of the movie where he saw like oh. the last quarter. And then we st I started playing it again. And he watched the first 75% of it. So he nice. saw the whole thing. Cause Excellent. It's not a great movie, but I was entertained. Um, okay. I, I get well, to do the synopsis. You get to do the synopsis. Warning, spoilers for this and any movie we may talk about. Uh, spoilers. This movie is from 1970. Oh, shoot. I forgot. Yeah, and this is way more a 70s movie than um, yeah. the last we, one. We basically was, skipped the 60s, the 60s on accident. Maybe we'll throw another yeah, movie in there's... some week. But um, 1977 of... is when this is from. So I kind of want to joke, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Mystery Science Theater's um, actor and writer Mike J. Nelson um, described the plot as, the plot is, and I'm not kidding here, the plot is, a guy is melting, that's the plot. <laughs> but to give a real synopsis, um, some astronauts, it's apparently the future, although you'd never know it, because some astronauts are out in Saturn's rings or something. Yeah, I don't understand. Something strange happens, they come back, one of them is melting, and as he melts, he kills people. And there is a poor, beleaguered doctor because of the secrecy around this, like only a few people know. And this poor doctor, whose name is Ted Nelson, which you will not forget because it's like a joke to say his name as much as possible in this movie, tries to um, find him. And then eventually he melts that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it right there. I so looking into the background of this movie, there's some interesting things. There's Rick Baker did the um makeup okay. and stuff. That is literally the one thing I wanted to say at the front is I Rick Baker. You, you you can talk about Rick Baker. Let me go into the part I want to talk about, which is that the guy who directed this, I have actually seen one of his other films, which is Galaxina, which is also it has Dorothy Stratton, who's almost more famous for being murdered, um, for being Peter Bogdanovich's girlfriend and being murdered. Uh, than for much of her career, but she was a Playboy playmate um, who did some acting before getting murdered as a very young woman. Um, and um, he also did worked on The Exterminator 2, which I've never seen or have I watched that. I know Red Letter Media did it, did it, and I may have actually watched it at some point. Neither of them are very entertaining, but apparently this director liked Boonwell who came up in our Robot Monster conversation. White Boone well. I didn't expect him to show up this month. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so the director's name is William Sachs. And he has directed some movies. And this feels like more of a movie than some of the movies we've been watching. And he has said that he is, according to Wikipedia, influenced by 
Fellini, Boonwell, and others. Huh. That's and very odd. So, but, and he is also, a, um, he's also a, a, I guess he's some kind of movie doctor or film doctor. So he'll kind of yeah. re-edit and release stuff. Yeah, but I've... this film got re-edited, despite the fact, like, I don't think he got to do it. So they added some stuff to it. And it was supposed to be funnier, I guess. But I still found parts of it incredibly funny. And this may be because I, too, like the surrealist and find it very funny. So my favorite moments of this was just Ted Nelson's blue-collar job hunting down this melting man. Because there is a conversation between him and another doctor where they're writing some kind of thing that's making a lot of noise. And they're just talking about Ted Nelson's pregnant wife. Um, and just that this is the third pregnancy and so on. And, and they're just having this chat <laughs> before they go into how they're going to find the melting man. And yeah. later Ted Nelson goes home and his wife brings home the groceries. And she went to Lucky, which is an old grocery store. You probably, we used to shop at Lucky. I remember. And she forgot the crackers. And he's like half describing to her how he needs to hunt down the melting man while he's getting irritated about the fact that the crackers. <laughs> Those are, damn crackers. Yeah. Are, he doesn't have his crackers. And it just feels like, it feels like someone who just has a job they don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's finding this man who's melting. <laughs> Even to the point where she's like, well, how are you supposed to find him? You're a doctor. He's like, well... I mean, you use this Geiger counter and she's like, what? He's radioactive? And he's like, just a little bit. And th there's some really dry humor in this yeah. that I appreciated. Unfortunately, it devolves eventually into monster running around, killing people, chasing it. Yeah. And I have probably seen more of those than you. And as a result, I kind of uh, appreciate what this has for it that's unique, including young children smoking. Thank you, 70s. Um, <laughs> but like compared to something like Slithis or just any of you know there's so many chase the monster around the forest chase the right. monster around nowhere kind of movies that are that are bad but not amusing I kind of wish I'd seen the director's original intent because I really enjoyed the dry humor of just like well crap now I've got to find this melting man. Yeah, I'd be And there be was curious. some dark humor in the ending, too, where, like, I don't think we were supposed to interpret Ted Nelson's appeal to the melting man who was once his friend, who was named Steve, and we hear Steve over and over again, almost as much as we hear Ted Nelson. Like, I think there was supposed to be some very dark humor in the sight of this man attempting to, like, get to the humanity of someone who looks like a, a melted wax candle. Yeah. And then get shot in the head by the police. Yes. Anyway, that's, I quite enjoyed Melting Man. So. I enjoyed it too. I, uh, I'll ha I have to admit, um, I, 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 life is busy and I can't always watch these movies on my, my TV. So I was actually cooking while I was watching this. <laughs> but it was just, basically, the first half was really hilarious. And like, it was just so enjoyable. And in the second half when you start to get more of the monster chasing stuff, it's not bad or anything. Like it's not less, it's not like terrible, but it is less fun to watch. So I probably wasn't paying quite as much attention, but there's just these sections where it's like, no, Steve, no. <laughs> it's like, that's- like they were doing that on purpose. Yeah, like I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it's like, when once you told me, um, 
uh, or somebody, or maybe it was Kirby, but so, I, I, one of you told me like, oh, it's, it was intended as a parody originally. And I'm like, oh, well, that kind of almost, that makes sense basically with what's going on. And like, well, there's that sequence where they get, where the random couple go home and like yeah. the door is open and there's blood on it. And he's like, wait, you wait out here. And she's like, really? <laughs> Terrific. That felt yeah. a little tongue in cheek to me. Yeah, well, and, and later in that scene, she she screams, you know, because she's found her boyfriend, husband, whoever, like, yeah. dead. And then she's, like, in the corner screaming. And she stops. And I think the shot just holds on her. <laughs> and then she, like, screams again. And yeah. it's fine. Like, I, I mean, who knows how people would react to that. But it just looks so silly. Like, it's yeah. just silly at a certain point. Well, so, okay, so Rick Baker is a very famous... Um, uh, movie makeup guy and I don't know his full career that well I I, I watched a, an interview he did um, uh, on the podcast and it's interesting it was interesting to hear him talk about how like through most of his career he's like I really just wanted to make these props and nobody ever used them the way I wanted them to <laughs> which I mean hey that makes sense but I mean talk about blue collar <laughs> situations <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And but like so he's a famous makeup guy and he did the makeup for the the melting man is just I wish like we don't it's not like practical effects are dead and we never do practical effects anymore. Usually yeah. people are going for realism or they're going for something where CGI is what they end up using. Not always. There's still practical effects. But I miss I would love to have more practical effects in movies because it just looks so cool. And I, we don't all need to be doing realism here. And yeah. like it just looks so good. And it actually reminded me of RoboCop because there's a scene in RoboCop where a guy melts, basically. And apparently and, it didn't... And yeah, I was, as you were talking, I went down to the legacy just to, to see what it said about it real quick. And that this inspired that piece of special effects makeup. And it's like, yeah, it just looks really good. I mean, at the front, you see like, he looks bad. And then in the room, the, the hospital room, he like starts melting a little more and he gets a piece of cotton stuck to his face and it looks pretty silly. And... <laughs> He runs that around whole and then, scene, that whole early scene with the nurse screaming and running down God knows where or something like, like why is she I running mean, in slow-mo and runs straight of, through a door. Yeah. Like a just runs door. through a door, a glass door, which I mean, of course it wasn't actually glass because you can't actually run through a glass door that way. But also like, it's this top secret spot, but like, no, like it looks like a storage space somewhere. Yeah. Like there, it, it's got a lot of that kind of bad movie stuff where they're like, "Here's a yeah. room that is playing this kind of room, but doesn't look like that kind of room at all." Kind of a no. thing. No, but but a moment later, like just in the next scene, we see like his face get even worse, and like an eye just like pops out and rolls down his face and falls, and it's like that's great. And at the end of the movie, when he's like finally like. I guess he hasn't eaten enough living cells or something. I saw that somewhere and it's like, what was that in the movie somewhere? Who knows? But he finally just fully melts and it's just like gooey stuff. Goo, yeah. like the most gooey you've ever yeah. gooed. Like it's so good. Anyways. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's some problematic 70s stuff like, oh, oh did you notice this? So you notice the the girl that's getting her her f pictures taken out in the desert with a strange man, which is the beginning of a lot of really terrible, like genuinely bad stories. But this is a yeah. '70s movie, so it's played for comedy. Did you notice something about when he was taking her pictures? No. He literally did not click the button once. He was just twisting. Oh. 
the the the, 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 the lens. He didn't press. No pictures were being taken, and I don't know That's if that nice. was deliberate or if this is like how everyone who drives a car is constantly turning the wheels in the way that right. would make the car jerk back and forth. That's not how cars get driven. But yeah, he was not actually clicking the button. So he was not taking <laughs> any pictures at all. I had not noticed that. And then he like makes her take her top on and it's just she's screaming, take your hands off me until she gets she she steps yes. back into another hand, which is the dead body of a fisherman who the melting yeah. man found earlier. So there's some yeah. 70s going on there once i mean you know he the, the guy pulls her shirt down and she's like oh what are you doing and it's just so 70s and i'm like this is just yeah no. I, I hope it helped her career or something maybe she <laughs> wanted to do it i'm sure that's not the truth but you know and also you mentioned earlier like there's also police who just shoot our hero in the face and i'm like eh, it is just a 70s movies but in today's world i take the stuff with police and it a little more I take well, it differently. They end up dead anyway, but um, they do. <laughs> I thought that was part of what was supposed to be kind of a darkly humorous ending. Is like it, probably at the end of the day, the police shoot him. <laughs> like yeah, in a it, way, that's kind of like yeah. Not so not yeah. So yeah. No, I it it might have been that that's what it was going for. Weirdly, I'm now that I'm we're talking about it, I don't have a ton to say about this because it's kind of just enjoyable. Like yeah, it, it's. I liked it more than Galaxina or The Exterminator 2, <laughs> William X other work. Uh, it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's the, the audio. I enjoyed the soundtrack to this movie. I, I enjoyed the cre creature effects. Uh, the, the, the It was a real up. movie, which is kind of more than at least two of the other movies we watched. Yeah, like the, the real reasons that this is a bad movie aren't the stuff I just mentioned. The reasons this is bad is because kind of the acting's bad a little bit, and or at least it's, or maybe it's intentionally bad, but whatever the result ends up being really unsure. Yeah. And, and the situations and setups are kind of funky and don't make a lot of sense. Like they are just doing the worst job ever. And of course it's a, a doctor looking for the monster and again if this is a horror parody that kind of makes sense and if it's not it's kind of just weird so it's kind of just ends up being like it's not a completely bad movie it's like part of it's bad good part of it's good yeah it's just kind of a, it's it's an odd little little movie i was it was very enjoyable though i mean as someone like me who who has watched uh, killer crocodile and slithis and just a lot of this is what I kind of grew up watching because I would just watch television for hours and hours. And, there, you know, I watched a lot of random things on TV. And so yeah. there would be stuff like this, these kind of B movies of the 70s and 80s kind of a thing. Right. And so, you know, I, I weed through a lot of, um, I don't know, my metaphor is getting all messed up, but you, you watch a lot of kind of, stuff that's just kind of whatever and yeah. and occasionally you find something that's a little more interesting and i think sometimes it even takes watching more stuff that's really dull to kind of see what sets things apart and there's there's craft here involved and yeah. there's um dialogue that's actually kind of well written and tongue-in-cheek that i like i really like the cracker scene i really like wait steve's melting you really didn't get any crackers like just like because that felt i like i like it when people approach a ridiculous situation like it's a job yeah and even star trek the next generation has moments of that like one of my favorite star trek the next generation moments is 
it's almost always when Jordy is asked to do something that Jordy is fairly certain he can't do, but like he can't say no. Like, right. you're gonna say because is when they're trying to follow, solve some problem, and Jordy comes to the bridge and he's like, "Okay, we figured it out. It's gonna take a team of 140 years, but we can do this." And Picard's just like, "Never mind. We figured something else out." But it's that. I mean, because yes. we've all had these moments in our jobs where someone has asked you to do something. And you don't want to do it, and you know you can't do it, but they're not going to let you get out of it. I don't know. Anyway. Yes, no, that 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 scene does fit into that that group. is pretty funny. Anyway, yeah. So I, I'm not going to recommend this to to most people, but if you're like me and you'll sit through Crocodile Killer Crocodile just to see if anything funny happens, like this is worth watching. Yeah, this is. I mean, if you're if I mean, you know, we're getting like ten views on YouTube for this, so. Who cares? But if you're watching this because you like bad movies and you were curious, you probably will enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too. one really final, final note is the interesting thing about some of these sci-fi creature horror movies is that I think we saw it. uh, I know I saw, I can't remember the title of it, but you'll have these movies. um, Actually, it almost happened with um, the giant claw. But that was the music. Uh, I forget Elmer Bernstein like did the music, but you'll have one person that really knows what they're doing, and it'll right. be like Rick Baker, you know, right. or Elmer yes. Bernstein, yeah. and and then you think about something like um, Night of the Living Dead, but more um, actually uh, Dawn of the Dead, where yeah. you get like a director that knows what they're doing and. You know, you get George Romero and Tom Savini together, and then you have this kind of glorious yeah. c- combination. Anyway, yes. <laughs> that's it. That's all we have to say about that. Go watch it. All right, so uh, let's do our next movie, which is not a part of our bad, good movies of uh, the month, though it does fall into some traps that bad movies have. So I picked this for you to watch because I wanted you to watch this for a little bit. Did we say the name already? It's Cane River. Cane River. Spoilers for Cane River and anything we talk about. So I watched this back when Criterion had the um, Black Lives Matter kind of uh, collection. I forget what it was called, but it was spurred on by all that. Yeah, stuff. I watched it around the same time as um, Higher Ground. Is that what it's called? Or are you thinking Ordinary People or something? No, Ordinary People. Ordinary <laughs> Lives. Wasn't no, that's that one. Called? Ordinary People is the one uh, <laughs> that it, it has Mary Tyler Moore in it. Um, it's the one it? about the married couple. Um, yeah, with Bill Gunn in it, or no, not yeah, right? yeah. yeah. What's it called? Where she's looking for those listening, she's looking. We because can't because this is going to drive us crazy. Yeah, it's it's just give us a moment. It's Bill Gunn and is it her... losing ground? Losing ground, yeah. Losing ground. So losing okay. ground. So I watched it around the same time as losing ground, um, and so I think I'm not sure. I know that losing ground had a black woman director. Um, Kane River has a uh, black man director, but apparently most of the cast and crew were black. I'm not sure with Losing Ground how much of the crew was black, but definitely a, a large part of the cast was. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because I think when we talk about, and I'll, I'll let you summarize it in a moment. I'm just going over why I picked it. When we talk about amusing bad movies, we usually are talking about sci-fi or horror. 
Uh, bad yeah. comedy is usually just unpleasant. Um, yeah. Bad rom-coms, bad drama. It tends to not be very entertaining in general. But you need it to be... You need to be wacky and out there to be. Yeah, it needs to be kind of off the walls. This is a low budget rom. I would call it a rom com, although it's it's got drama to it too. And I found it kind of charming. And I I would say there are some good bad moments in it, and then there's some good good moments, and then there's some bad moments. And I just found it to be a really interesting specimen. And it's a and it's got you know the black director black cast back in um, eighty two, so this is kind of before a lot of that was happening. And I do believe the director. There's still not a lot of that happening, but <laughs> right. Um, but there was a brief kind of a surge with the L.A. L.A. Rebellion and Spike Lee started all, just a few years later, right? Right. And I do believe that the director of this died before he could really finish it. Um, so that might have, yeah. And I think it's. I think they even specifically say that the editor on this, um, it was like their first editing job, and if they could go back, they'd do a lot of things differently. But anyway, I just since we're watching low budget bad movies, I thought I'd throw this in there as kind of like a, a completely and now for something completely different, but that's also got some overlap. Yeah. No. So the definitely. So the synopsis of Skane River is uh, Peter, oh shoot, Peter Metois. I, they said it in the movie. Metois. Metois. Uh, comes home to Cane River from college. I mm-hmm. believe he's graduated and he was going to be drafted by the NFL. I think even the New York Jets get named for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but uh, he decides not to because he sort of feels like he's, he, he just doesn't it doesn't work for him like he's being paid money to do something that like doesn't you know it's he's it's all putting on a show for people and he just kind of feels like that isn't him sorry i'm going in the weeds then he gets back and he's you know gets back to his family there and he's back in town and he goes to this historical plantation where he meets maria mathis i get that right yeah maria mathis now metoyer is from Peter is from the Creole section of Cane River, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Maria is from, I don't know, a different section that's more just black, straight black people. They aren't mixed necessarily, or they aren't Creole because of the French thing is what the Creole thing is, I think. Isn't that right? I can explain this later if you want, because... You, you should explain it later. Anyways, they meet at this place, and a romance starts to virgin and form virgin starts to form from this and the rest of the movie is really just the romance between them and a lot there's there's a bunch in the movie about like class differences and like how metois is descended from the slave owners and how maria lives with her mom and her brother and how their family is a little kind of crummy and how she wants to be somebody and have a career and not just be somebody's wife and so there's a lot of like it's a very much a like interpersonal like character piece i would not describe it as a rom-com because i don't think i laughed ever during it or if i did that very last scene kind of did something for me it just was so tongue-in-cheek yes Yes, that last scene is very tongue we can we can go into that in a moment or i'll go into that anyways that's basically the synopsis it's two people falling in love and 
I think I'm, I'm going to do a quick bit, which is so my girlfriend watched this with me and she didn't really like Cane River. Um, I think she was okay with it. I, I'm she, I'm making going to make this hand signal to her. This is what you thought of Cane River, right? Basically, she was mixed on it. And, you know, I pointed out like, well, you know, remember, this is, you know, 1982. This is black director, black cast, black crew. Um, they're just this there's not a lot of that kind of not a lot of films came out with that sort of uh i don't know what you'd even call pedigree or, or stuff going on with it and that's interesting in and of itself it's also a movie just about two black people falling in love and again this is not something we get even in today's world very often right most of the movies that i can think of that have large black casts are like the uh, uh what's his name stuff the medea stuff mm-hmm. like there isn't a lot of tyler like, perry stuff Tyler Perry stuff and it's there's just isn't a lot of this kind of filmmaking out there it doesn't mean it doesn't exist it's just well it makes me think of Hollywood Shuffle where he talks about you basically you play a pimp or you play a slave yeah or you're supposed to be funny like Eddie Murphy like yeah even even when a a film and often directed by and crewed by white people you know it features black casts it's it's very one-dimensional and it's like yeah. all black people are the same which also happens you know to, to other minority groups sometimes but definitely yeah it's like yeah i mean or even to white people but it's more an issue yeah. because minorities don't get represented as much right right anyways there was even a movie recently photograph i think is what it was called that's lakeith stanfield and i think it was Issa ray i can't remember now um but like, and I was real curious about that. I still haven't watched it. I need to watch it. But so like, and it's just, this movie is kind of interesting for all those. I talk about movies being historical documents because sometimes that's their entertainment value is the historical value more than the what's on screen. This doesn't fall completely into that. Like this isn't, I can't remember what it was. It was one of the German expressionist films or Metropolis even is kind of a historical document more than it is entertaining, though it is entertaining too. This there are aspects of this that are a historical document. Again, 80s, black crew and director and all that. But at the same time, where it's a historical document, there is something kind of charming and fun about the story. Like if it was edited a little better, like maybe if it was 20 minutes shorter or something, you know, 15 minutes shorter, if the acting was a little better, if the pacing was a little better, this could be like just a really good movie. Like, I'm, I, it wasn't rediscovered until 2013 and it's only, I think, even more recently it, become popular. So, so it was, it was, it was the director's first film. He apparently yeah. worked in public television, so he wasn't unfamiliar with, and I, I, like I said, I think he died before he completed it. Our male lead had never acted before and didn't act again. Our, 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 our female lead is um, an actress and I think she went on to direct stuff possibly in plays. I'm not sure she did film, but yeah. um so it's a real mix of people, you know, who, who are practiced at what they're doing and who aren't. Right. And like, it's just a really interesting, like, I mean, here, here's, it falls into the, the traps of a bad movie by like, here's wide shots. They've only got so much film. Here's just two characters talking to each other in a wide shot. Uh, it's not very well framed. The lighting isn't necessarily very good. Again, the acting kind of goes in and out of being good. Some of the dialogue is just like people sort of mouthing at each other. But then at the same time, there's also like really good stuff. Like there's a scene where uh, Peter's sister is sort of questioning like, Maria, where do you come from? And Maria gives like 
I was born on this day. I'm this tall. I weigh this much. This makes me a Pisces. Is that what you're after? And the sister starts laughing and is like, yeah, I guess that covers all of it. It's like, that's just a really cute scene. Like, that's just really good. And In the a whole, way, sorry, I have a question for you, but let me let you finish. The, the, and also the, there's a couple of scenes that, you know, where Peter's like, oh, well, I'm, I may be a metois, but like, I'm also, you know, black. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not just, you know, the slave owner half of my heritage. I'm the other parts of my heritage too. And, you know, th there's this whole discourse between them and all that stuff. They, they talk about it being a caste system thing, but, you know, basically just people in different places in, in life from their heritage and not, and like whether they have money or not, like a part of the movie is about Peter trying to get this land back. And so he has money and there's all, there's, 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 there's an interesting dynamic there that even though the movie is kind of tough to watch in a few spots is pretty interesting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird film. <laughs> Did it make you think of, so I had you watch a bunch of LGBTQIA plus films at one point, And some of them were very much about, uh, I guess, LGBTQIA issues, as you might put it, which isn't a bad thing to be about. But others were just about people falling in love who just yeah. happen to be attracted to the same sex. And in a way, there are class issues here, but they're not they're not with white people so much. So what happened, and I don't really know what I'm talking about, and this is not a, a video podcast about history, but so- no. And we are two white know, people from Los Angeles. Right, I mean, be before the United States looked like the United States, there was more than just, you know, people from England and Italy here. There were French people. And yeah. where we live in California was very much Spanish and then Mexican. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's still a lot of that. <laughs> right. But there was a point at which the um, there was a place point which California was very heavily Mexican and then got kicked out. Yes. By, yeah. yeah. So and then so that's yeah. No. Um, Los Angeles, for, for example, uh, white is minority compared to um, Spanish. Um, yeah. But so there was a lot of French over in the Louisiana area. And so Creole is something I don't completely understand, but it was a real mix. And maybe it has to do with the culture that settled there. I almost think of like the Gullah stuff from, yeah, um, and this is what does. you get when you have people who, who are interested in from cultures, like making films about yeah. those cultures is the Creoles were landowners and slave owners and so on. And some of them were, were black or mixed race. Yeah. But then in the same area, you had black people who were descendants of the slaves. So that's basically what we have here is that he he has a French name, Matois. He's he's Creole. Yeah. Um, so he his he is higher class than Maria because she is descended from slaves. And yeah. so it 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 points out that like being black isn't itself like a monoculture like right it's like how it drives me crazy when i should like something because a woman is in it like there are women who i have less in common with than i have in common with men like it, de it depends on the woman like there are definitely right. women's issues that i like to see on screen sometimes but there's also women's issues that have nothing to do with me and well yeah and that's why i mean sometimes we talk about you know the depiction of women in a film and it's like sometimes you're like well this isn't for me but this is for someone and it's like i might even like a portrayal of a woman better even if it's right. you know not one that fits with you because again nobody's there are no monolithic cultures out there 
So I watched this around the same time as Losing Ground, as I mentioned, which was just kind of about a marriage. And there was, there was, they certainly mentioned being black and, and how they would be treated, but you know, their lives were about so much more than right. just the issues they faced. And so I thought it was interesting for that reason, but I also found it charming. I mean, he, he's not a great actor and I think he admits it in that interview, like he'd never acted before, but also as, as we mentioned in one of our previous things, you, you, the editing in this is not good. And bad editing really screws actors over because it gives long pauses and, yeah. and stuff that makes them look very stiff and stilted. So it doesn't do him favors. Um, yeah. But there's just something charming about just watching two people fall in love. I think it's funny they talk about, because we watched some of the supplementary material that Criterion had that she didn't know how to swim. <laughs> there's yeah. a scene where she's swimming. Yeah. And I just, it's interesting because it's not often that I see something that is just a romance that has a low budget. That I mean, I guess, you know, Sparrow's Dance. Like, there, there is some lower budget stuff. Um, I'm not sure how much money Lars and the real girl had, you know, I'm sure it had some money, but yeah. Um, yeah. There was just something kind of charming about it. And I thought it was interesting. And there was some, like, there was some times where you could see um, the director was like, ah, there's some scenes with her in the park holding that flower. Like you could tell he was like trying to do art house stuff for, yeah. like, a little bit and it didn't quite work, but didn't quite work. But I just thought, I thought it was charming. And again, it made me, and also made me think of Losing Ground and also um, Daughter of the De Daughters of the Dust, where it's like, here's a specific story instead of like slavery. And which is, you know, it's important to have movies about that, but we, we've got a lot of movies about that. It's nice to see yeah, again, other groups of people explored. You just don't get to see, I'm trying to think of what the words are that I've heard on podcasts and people talking about, but just like you don't get to see movies about like black beauty and black love very much. Yeah. If you do, it's usually like tertiary or often it's about, it's like a specific yeah, kind. I feel like, like in the 90s, there was a whole group of like women finding like older black women finding love but even that has like some odd connotations when that's the only thing you're seeing where it's like what are we saying about black men as a whole like yeah. it's some odd stuff like that going on a part of what's interesting to me is that so peter and maria are both you know products of the society and the world they grew up in which is cane river and which i don't know if they even say where that is in the u.s but somewhere in the u.s and in the u.s and even in the world in general but mostly the u.s like heteronormative man-woman couples like that's what you see everywhere that's where a lot of that's how a lot of society is set up to that's who society oh, is set up for way a lot more of than just the u.s for stuff like that yeah i'm just let me tell you about the korean dramas i've been watching <laughs> well, i'm talking specifically about the u.s but of course it is yeah. this all over the world but like the u.s and the world it's it's in general set up for heteronormative man-woman couples right and so whenever you see anything else, like you're talking about the LGBTQIA plus films or films about like this, about a black couple getting together, like there isn't as much, there's less stereotypes, not in general, I guess. There's less, it isn't as defined and the world isn't really as set up for it. So like when they're talking to each other and trying to figure it out, I imagine because of the cultures they live in, they're used to dealing with it. But me as a viewer, like, I just don't see this. So I don't see right. people interacting and like trying to figure these things out with each other because a lot of what you see, again, white heteronormative couples. So the way the coupling works for a different group is different. Right. Than you expect. So it's just, 
interesting to see something play out that way and, and how it played out for them and in losing ground, it's not as specifically about race, although race plays into it. It's more about like creative, mm-hmm. the creative versus the intellect. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is about like, you know, two different oppressed class, two different oppressed people, one who has money and one who doesn't mm-hmm. and sort of how they interact. I mean, I, I'm boiling it down to like right. log lines here, but like, and that's just interesting. Right. You know, it's, you know, Peter's father saying like, why did you have to date a girl, uh, you know, that's over on the other side of town? You know, why couldn't you have stayed yeah. in the Creole section? And, you know, Maria's mom saying like, you can't go out with him because he's Creole and the Creoles are the slave owners. Right. And, like just all of that, you know. Well, it's and- like there's there's classes within white people. Yeah. You know well- that. I mean, the wrong side of the tracks, usually when you think that you think about some rich girl dating some poor boy and they're both white, you know, and so of course there's there's class systems within you know all kinds of groups so we talked about how like even in traditional hollywood even up to now but more specifically we've talked about it with the 60s like you didn't get to keep your name you had to have a certain kind of white name to be a star like if you like there was no hope for groups of white people who were slightly different than the norm then it spreads out from there to minority groups. Right. Anyways, where it's I'm, even I'm, worse. Where it's yeah, even we're worse. not crying the plight of the white people. We're just kind of showing that it like it's, it's all just... it's bad. <laughs> it's a system should be changed. And I've I've gone slightly off track, but going again back to the movie, it's again, it doesn't work in a lot of ways, and there are boring sections of the movies movie. But at the same time, you know, in the interview, I think uh, what's I forget the name of the actress now, um, who plays Maria. Uh Tommy uh, something. Um, she's got an interesting name. Uh, she talks about how like, well, you know, what we did was really something good. And I sort of had to cock my head and be like, well, you're not really wrong. Like, she's really not wrong. You did do something good. It isn't great. Maybe she may have even said great. I don't know. And it's like, you did do something there. I wish it, I, w- I want somebody to like remake it. I don't usually want people to remake movies. Like, I want this to be remade by somebody who really likes it and has a thing for it. And, you know, you could make it modern or not or whatever. But, like, I want to see a better done version of it because there really is something there. And, again, I just want to see more stories like this. But the movie itself, like, I want to see this specific story done again almost. Yeah, and I think between the two of us, I like a rough little underdog more than you. Like, I... Yeah. Yeah, and... um. And I love the ending. The ending is yeah. she's going to go off to college and in order to appease her family, she's basically going to like break up with him yeah, so that she can pursue being this um, independent, um, self-sufficient woman. Yeah. And so she has this whole speech with him at the, I guess it's the train station. Yeah. Um, and it's a bus station bus station and shakes his hand and then after like everybody's walked away he's still there and you see that she handed him something and it's this like piece of paper that's like don't worry i'll see you in two weeks or something like that and he's just like yeah yeah (laughs) it just was so silly i really enjoyed that it is very silly i mean I, i don't know that i need to see it remade I kind of enjoy it for what it is. Like I get it that it's boring in places and there's long shots and some awkwardness and it certainly could have been tightened up in editing, but I kind of just enjoy it as this little, <laughs> little funky little thing. That's just kind of a, 
got I, a lot of heart and soul and sometimes that you know makes it i don't i think you could do a more um a version of it that would appeal to a wider audience wouldn't hurt because I don't think there is as many people like me out there who will sit through Slithis and also Cane River, but um, in general, no, probably. <laughs> but it, it's another one of those two where it's it's kind of a shame it didn't get any kind of because you think about like Rudy Ray Moore's stuff is just about as unpolished as this. It's just it's comedic and it's kind of flamboyant and out there. So I think it gets a bigger audience. Yeah. But something like this could have gotten a small audience at the time. It's just the director died and he didn't have he he could have maybe made better movies in another movie or two. And it just didn't didn't have yeah. the chance to do it. And that was also a similar story with Losing Ground where she died pretty young and didn't yeah. really you know she could have made other movies but then you also see um julie dash who did um daughters of the, daughters dust. Of the dust no one gave her any money to do any movies after that so i mean it just who knows but it's one of those where you wonder what the alternate history like i don't think the alternate history uh, if uh, horace b jenkins um had lived would have been that different from where we are now but i'm kind of curious what ripples might have had had something like this had any you know even if other filmmakers had seen it yeah i i agree and i i i wouldn't want the new movie at the expense of this movie like i want both of them like i i like this version of the movie but because i like my bigger you know or my my, my slightly you know my, my prettier movies i want to see a prettier mo version of this yeah but it is just yeah I don't know. I, it, it, at the end of the day, like I, I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking on this movie and I'm like, there's just a lot of stuff I kind of enjoyed about it, even though it was kind of dull in places and a little bit tough, but like, oh, and the music. Oh, that's right. That's the thing I didn't want to forget about. The music in this film is all done by a guy. That guy is, I think, is it, is it Leroy Glover who did the, he got, and originally Sydney Portier's daughter was going to be in this, but it wasn't her at the, in the, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. Leroy Glover is under music. I think it's Leroy Glover who did the music. There's also um, Philip Manuel, but I think that might've been the guy who actually put the music together with the film. I'm not sure, but the music in this, there are sections of this that feel like a music video. And that's a problem for a movie. And one of the few, one of the problems that this film has is occasionally I'm like, it's just some interesting music with some music video backdrop stuff. But the guy, the music is actually really good. It's very 80s to me, mm -hmm. but like, it's pretty good. And so like, I was 80s, into- When you say 80s, I think it's very saxophone heavy though, isn't it? It's not 80s like synth. I guess maybe, Beverly Hills yeah. Cop type stuff. No, but it's, yeah, I guess not. I'm not as good with the decades, but it's very of its time. Let me say that. Mm -hmm. And it feels, it, it's unfortunately it overpowers the movie. Mm -hmm. But like, if I were to see a new version of this, I'd want that same music almost. Like, mm -hmm. it's a certain kind of music. And I just, I enjoyed it a fair bit. <laughs> so anyways, I, I think I've run out of things to say on this. I, I, ultimately... I just think it's, 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 I, I like low budget more than you overall you do like it i'm not saying you don't like it um yeah. and for me this was just a charming low budget thing i basically agree it's just a charming low budget movie and there's there's some really interesting things going on and i wish we had more of these and maybe someday we will and i'm gonna just keep searching the internet for other movies like this when i get a chance you know but it's good wish there was more i'm, I'm curious about the alternate history you mentioned as well 
All right, shall we wrap up? I think so. I don't. My, I just, my wrap I just, up is super short, so I yeah. feel like I should just get it out of the way. Go for it. So I watched The Music Man on Monday with you. Um, our, yeah, that was a movie. And our mother, it, it was a movie that our mother wanted to watch. We do these Zoom movies on Mondays. And uh, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, I mean, it's a lot of, I mean, I, it's musical numbers and some of the musical numbers are a lot of fun and the story is pretty silly. And it's about a, you know, a traveling salesman who ends up finally finding a it's place. It's so our mom's kind of movie. A traveling salesman goes to town to basically just swindle these people out of money but in the process of doing it he gets everybody into music and that enriches the lives of the people of the town and so everybody ends up better off and he you know realizes the true value of friendship etc yeah and and i'm being sarcastic it's it's good it's not my kind of thing <laughs> no and ultimately i just i enjoyed it and i'm like it's oh, solid. kind of fun i like i like it's a solid getting, movie it's a solid movie i'm getting more into musicals and i sort of appreciate that musicals are like their own sort of fantasy movie like we talk about fantasy and we're usually talking like orcs and, and, and elves, but like musicals are fantasies. Oh yeah. And it's like, I just had never really kind of put that together in my head. So I need to watch some more musicals, but I, I don't know. I kind of, I enjoyed it. It wasn't great. I liked some other musicals more, but it was pretty, it was fun. The other movie I watched was police story, um, which my girlfriend Jill had never seen. And I'd seen many, many years ago. And I may have seen it, but I don't remember very well. It's one of Jackie Chan's most famous um, movies, at least in particular of his of his Chinese. Um, I think it was made in Hong Kong, but uh, one of, of his Chinese language films. Uh, I was interesting watching it as an adult because I didn't quite like it as much probably as when I was a kid. Though the moment that the uh, we get to the action scenes, I just love all of it because it's great. It's just Jackie running around, getting you know horribly beat up and injured and doing amazing things while he does it. Uh, um, this one has a really famous opener and ender as far as action scenes go. And then it was amusing watching it because it seemed like they had like one wide angle lens and it was a really like a fisheye wide angle lens. And that was how they were filming all of the interiors for certain like rooms because that's just the space they had, I guess. And they wanted mm -hmm. to get the whole room. I don't know. It was funny because like just everything's like curling at the edges of the screen. And it's like, I don't know why you're doing that in this scene. You don't really need to. Anyways, so that was fun to watch. Um, and also, uh, I also realized that it has the actress whose name is now escaping me, uh, Maggie Chung, I think, who is in it and is also in, in the mood for love, which I watched last year and I want to rewatch And so, I mean, she's had a, a long career, but, um, so just interesting. And then the last thing I watched, or I, I watched, it would really is that I finished watching was Rick and Morty. I have now seen all four seasons of it. Um, I don't think it's ended or canceled or anything. So presumably there will be more seasons, but I've seen it up to the most recent episodes. I mostly just, I don't have a lot to say because it's kind of what it is. It's that thing where like, I never really got into the Simpsons because it's too much like a sitcom ultimately, even though it's like, you know, raunchy and then full of you know, Homer yelling at things. I wouldn't I never... call the Simpsons raunchy, but other than that, yes. And not, not raunchy, but just like that. It just like, subversive at subversive time. maybe i don't know it's just whatever kind of humor it is whatever like, like I just, homer and marge aren't getting it on in the simpsons so fair fair uh, more like poop jokes and stuff but anyways i guess i don't think is i don't watch a lot of simpsons i don't even really know <laughs> i don't like, think you, yeah so anyways the point being i don't like it that much because it's too much like a sitcom and the problem is is that south park and family guy are also kind of too much sitcoms for me at a certain point like i just 
I don't know. It doesn't, for whatever reason, the format doesn't work for me. I like South Park more, but. Now that's raunchy. South Park is more raunchy. Family Guy isn't raunchy. And I like the way they do irreverent humor on Family Guy and the whole chicken fight thing. But like, I just never really got into those shows because it's, yeah. Whereas Rick and Morty is just like, it's a little bit shorter, I think. You know, they've got like 10 episode seasons, 30 30 minutes an episode, roughly. And I kind of just dig it because like, they really are just like, it is, it's all sci-fi. Like if it wasn't as sci-fi, I wouldn't care as much, but it's yeah, just like- Yeah, that's probably what gets you there. Yeah, it's probably what gets me there and gets me past the sitcom-y aspect to it. And plus like they, there are large chunks of it where like the whole point is that nobody's growing and like learning anything. Like Rick has just always been a bad person and continues to be a bad person basically. And like, so I don't know. I, I, enjoy I haven't Rick seen much of it, but I'm smiling remembering the one where like iced tea becomes like a space- Oh, he, he becomes a crystal, yeah. <laughs> He's like, and just yelling at people from the sky or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty, that one's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of good episodes. <laughs> I now understand a lot of jokes that sort of, I don't, I'm not on the social media that much, so I don't, I'm not a part of meme culture, but like I've heard a few things like, uh, like, I've, what was it, like Anatomy Park or like Pickle Rick or whatever, and it's yeah, like, I now Rick. understand what those things mean or where they come from. Yeah. Anyway, so... I finished that. We finished that, and we're both. I'm. I'm glad to have done that. And it was enjoyable. That's what I watched. I didn't really do a lot of movies this week. Uh, me either. Um, I was really in the mood for problematic slash patriarchal Chinese dramas, so <laughs> okay. found a couple of those. Um, just ones where. <laughs> You know you're in the mood for something specific where you're like, okay, I'm looking for anything with the tab controlling boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And they're out there. I mean, um, I am by no means an expert on Chinese dramas, but in general, I've noticed they're a little more patriarchal than the Korean and the Japanese, which have their moments too. Um, So I watched, I finished Perfect and Casual and I watched Be With You which both had kind of older men with younger women who just kept messing their own their lives up a little bit. Um, and I enjoyed them. I don't know that I have too much. I watched this, was watching, I was texting you, like, I don't even know how far I should go into this one, but I thought, like, I can enjoy problematic interpersonal relationships between a, a Chinese man and a Chinese woman. I was watching a scene yesterday that went to a problematic area that I'm not really okay with, which is where they were in England, which had very new looking brick buildings. So it was definitely somewhere in China. Um, And on these shows, they get white people to play white people, but they get the wrong kind of white people. So they speak English with like heavy accents and they're supposed to be British and they're not British. They're not even close to British. Right. Um, So they kept talking to people like in England who had like German accents or whatever it's fine right then they walk down the steps and encounter some black people who immediately try to rob them and I am like oh "Oh, no I am not like this is this is really bad so racism is not just a problem in the United States which I knew already I've there's colorism that pops up on these shows you do not want to be Southeast Asian because Southeast Asians tend to have darker skin well, yeah, so North, yeah, Northeast Asians can be racist towards them. It, you know, it, it happens. It's Plus, not good. 
well, because you and I watch enough Japanese stuff, we understand that there are some real big issues between the Japanese and Korean people. Yeah. Not not a... everybody, but like I mean, there's some you know, racist they're... stuff going on there. Well, yeah. More well, I, I mean, these places have histories like we were talking about, you know, and, and we tend to see them as monocultures. You know, all Chinese people are the same, but it's, it's not, you know. No, there's a lot of some of it's racism and some of it's prejudice i keep forgetting that i need to correct myself when i use these terms because well and there's there's i mean and then sexism and patriarchy going on in there too for sure um i just happen to be in the mood for protective older men don't ask (laughs) (laughs) that was what i was watching um but it's interesting too what is more culturally accepted and again this is all being taken from what they're producing as as television um in china the government like literally has a say in it whereas um i do think there are like laws and rules in korea and japan about what can and can't be but it's a little bit less so um but like in korea you do not see much in the way of age differences like it's right they don't they culturally it seems less accepted right whereas japan and china don't seem to have the same problems culturally with it so it's just interesting to see kind of what crops up and what and i i you know i I think i've been talking about this for the past few times we've done this so i won't go too deep into it but yeah it's just and i have a weird fondness for the men's fashion in china again it's a small sample size but there's a lot of like suits and conservative clothing in the Korean shows. I feel like it's in New York and I like it, but I get very bored by it. Like very nice coats, very nice button up shirts, <laughs> dress shoes, <laughs> like, and, and interesting too. And, and what we would consider what the, what United States culture would consider feminine, which I don't really consider um, is, you know, manly men in Korea will wear like, yeah, you know, and be manly, and but also, you know, there's more crying, and there's still manly men. Right. Um, so th- that's, but in China, there it's just it's a little more. I almost want to say it makes me think of California more, and that it's a little more off the wall. I'm watching the, I'm watching one where like this young CEO is wearing these like graphic tees, and he's got rings and a necklace, which I don't think I've ever seen. The only character i've seen where anything like that on a korean show was an actor and so he was you know just kind of young and fashionable that way so i mean i watched a whole chinese show that was an east because it was esports and they all look like sporty goths so (laughs) um the women's fashion i'm less into but again my sample size is small and also uh china seems to have a lot of historical dramas a lot a lot and that is something i have yet to get myself into and that's a completely different ball game bucket can of worms something anyway so that's that's where i've been cool i've also been watching uh we, t- we started the mandalorian yesterday um mm. because jill was like well it's six episodes i think it's just six uh and it's not even an hour an episode so it's like super quick to get through we might even finish it today um so i i, I enjoy season one everybody lost their their freaking minds about season one not everybody but like a lot of the, the nerd stuff i follow like online and and you know youtube and some of the stuff i see go by on facebook the you know one time a week i check it or whatever and like i watched season one of the mandalorian and i'm like this is a fun little you know western show set in 
sci-fi land. It was enjoyable. It wasn't amazing. I'm sorry, everybody. It's I just, I, people I just, were craving I good sci-fi, good Star Wars. Yeah, I guess so. I just like I know you think I'm being vindictive or something, but I just don't care about any Star Wars stuff anymore. Now I know everybody says it's good, but like there's a lot of good stuff out there that I haven't watched, and it's fine. You don't have to care about Star Wars. I do think you're a little vindictive about the Last <laughs> Jedi, but not Star Wars. Um, yeah. But it's just an enjoyable little show. It's not amazing. It's not the best thing on television. It's not the best show ever made. It's not the best Star Wars thing. It's fine. I'm glad that everybody has something Star Wars that isn't Clone Wars. You haven't even finished it though, and you're already like, I don't know. Yeah, I just I get a little I get a little I get a little defensive, I guess, because like everybody's talking how amazing it is, and then yeah. I'm just like kind of put off by it because it's well, like that's that's the danger. I mean, that's the danger of expectations with anything. I, I've yeah. really enjoyed things because my expectations were low. Yeah. for example which is is yeah anyways the whole point of this is i'm watching season two and i've enjoyed the episodes i've watched so far again it's an enjoyable show uh, and then uh i also we, we finally finished season seven of sg1 which means we have exactly three seasons to go now stargate <laughs> sg1 excellent and i don't think we've been watching anything else because we finished rick and morty we're gonna try, i'm gonna try and get jill to start a k-drama um when we were playing among us yesterday uh, Kirby was talking about um, some other Korean show, but it's like a monster show, Sweet Home or something. And I was thinking in my head, like, oh, I, I kind of, well, that sounds kind of interesting. But if I watch that before I watch the K-drama, Sarah would just kill me. <laughs> I don't really want to, I don't really want to do that. Um, but I also want to watch like Lovecraft Country. And I threw on this uh, Netflix show away that is apparently had one season and that's it, even though it's supposed to, I think, have like three or four or something. Um, I, I want to watch Watchmen. I haven't watched Watchmen. Yeah, that's and, on um, our list too. Uh, Georgia, what's the Dan Danny uh, Donald Glover's? Oh right. Oh shoot, I don't remember the name of it, but I've heard of that one. I don't know that that one sounds as much like it's my thing, but I've heard of it. <laughs> Why has the name escaped me so badly? I don't know. Um, Atlanta. A, Atlanta. <laughs> I said Georgia instead of Atlanta. I was so close. <laughs> you were very close. Uh, um, yeah, no, I, I, well, I just needed something new to watch yesterday. And so I threw away on because I'd, I'd seen it go by on I Netflix. I don't know anything about that. It's Hillary Swank and it's about going to Mars and it's a sci-fi show. And occasionally I just throw these on because I like watching sci-fi stuff and, and I needed it. And it, we've been watching Unsolved Mysteries. And if you, so I have a podcaster I love to listen to, um, and he has become popular not enough that the model who's also big on social media, uh, Chrissy Teigen, actually yeah. commented because he he recaps the unsolved mysteries, and every time he's upset that they're not unsolved, and so she was commenting on like how much fun it is to listen to him get upset that these mysteries are not solved, and some of them are like we. <sighs> Unfortunately, with some unsolved mysteries, you know what happened, and it's just cannot prove it. Right. But we watched one like in the last week where it was just like, well, I'm going to have bad dreams. And then I did. It just was, <laughs> oh, God. It was so weird. What had ha what what had gone on before this man ended up dead was just so weird that for me in that moment, it's, um, I think if we're, if anyone's listening and cares, God only knows, sometimes people listen to us. We get like one or two views on our wrap up videos. So probably not, but I mean, Hey, why not? And again, this if is all for us. It was the Washington Insider one. And 
are you ever going to watch these unsolved? You're too young to even remember the original unsolved mysteries very well. I, I decided to put a cap at like documentaries and like podcasts. I don't think I'm going to watch Unsolved Mysteries. I just can't go down that rabbit hole. You remember, the, you remember how big a moment it was in Mumford though, because he was on Unsolved Mysteries, yes, right? That, yes, Robert Stackhouse. So um, this, this guy was kind of a big Washington DC guy. And he, 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 he went home, his, he's married, but they own two homes so he went to be by himself in one of the homes not out of any just for work reasons yeah and like his phone is left across the street at an abandoned at, at a building that's being built that he was against that's been smoke bombed his house has all this stuff strewn all over the place in the kitchen he ends up like getting someone to give him a ride somewhere else where he then is in a building for like a day and no one knows why. And there's all this surveillance footage. What makes the creepiest thing in the world to me is surveillance footage where you're just like, what is going on here? Because he did have bipolar, but he was usually medicated and it's terrible to just like blame every, I hate the modern tendency of blaming everything on our brains, even though like our brains can be problematic, let's say. Um, And then he's like in a, um, in a black hoodie and he's a Washington DC insider. He does not wear black hoodies ever. Like he's an older man. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And then he walks off frame. And the next thing we know, he's like dead in another state, but this is the East coast. So other states are very close, but in a, in a, in a, um, landfill. And it's just like, all his activities are so strange. And yeah, I had bad dreams. So anyway. I'm sorry you had bad dreams. Well, I I probably, there's, there have been a few uh, things go by on Facebook, not Facebook, Netflix, that uh, are like um, true crime things that I've been curious to watch. But I I've been slow it. about them lately, but I the Unsolved Mysteries, it's just like one episode and you're done kind of, and then you feel bad for the rest of the day. It's great. I still want to watch The Jinx, which I know was really popular when it came out. It's, I'm like way late on that. The There's certain things that I just listen to recaps of and I'm like, eh, I'm never going to watch Tiger King. I don't want to watch... Um... Oh, there was another one. I don't want to watch The Jinx. Like, I'm good. I don't... Oh, um, Don't Mess With Cats. I'm not going to watch that. Not going to happen. Yeah, I don't want to watch the Don't Mess With either Cats. Either of those I... at all. I'm good. Thanks. Anyways. All right. So what are we watching in the future? Um, It's finally time to watch Life Force. (laughs) That's the next movie. My cat just freaked out, even though she couldn't hear you say that. Um, Yes. (laughs) Now I might, I, if I'm not careful, I could end up watching that today because someone is so excited to watch Life Force with me. And apparently I've watched it before, but I fell asleep. Right. Uh, So we're watching Life Force. um, And then we're also watching Dead Space, which is my biggest cheat on the list because it, they, it, it technically had a theatrical release and I was trying to stick to theatrical released movies, um, but it was more or less a straight to DVD movie. Mm, got it. I just had trouble figuring, finding movies in the nineties that really fit the theme that well. So yeah. I just chose it because why not? So Life Force from 1985 and Dead Space from 1991, not to be mistaken with the, with the video game that I think is also called Dead Space, which I don't think has anything to do with the movie. Yeah. Uh, I have not chosen what I'm going to have you watch yet. I don't have anything even on the top of my mind. Um, I'll figure something out. 
and then, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any plans to watch anything too much. I might watch, I might finally get Jill to watch Stargate. I think we're, we're watching a Peter Sellers film. Yeah, we're watching a Peter Sellers film tomorrow. I can't remember what it was, but I'm pretty sure that's what we settled on. I might watch another Godzilla movie. I've got a couple of those left on the box that I have. I don't, know, I don't have any big plans. I'll finish The Mandalorian, and then after that, who knows what I'll be watching. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm going to move away from patriarchal Chinese dramas towards something else, but I'm not sure what. Excellent. That, that's what I got. That's, that's a good shift, I think. All right, time to go eat lunch and do other things. Talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye.